0: Hello and welcome to Faculty Feed with me, Dr. Jerry Rabelais, Associate Vice President for Health Science Center Faculty Development at the University of Louisville. With me are my co-hosts, Dr. Stacy Saner, Director of HSC Faculty Development, and Dr. Laura Weingartner, director of research for faculty health professions education once a week we're going to come together to use this podcast to bring faculty development content to feed your hunger and satisfy your appetite so you can magnify your impact as an educator clinician researcher and academic leader we're really fortunate today to have with us a very good friend of mine mr wade mitzel Wade and I go a long way back to the old days of pediatrics, and now he's in charge of operations for University of Louisville Physicians, and so, Wade, welcome to Faculty Feed. It is great to be here. Thank you so much for inviting me. Wade, tell us a little bit about what do you do, what's your scope of work, what are you responsible for for ULP?
1: The University of Louisville Physician Group is comprised of about 900 physicians now, We have about 225 clinic locations throughout the region. We are getting very close to a million visits a year. It's been really neat to see us grow and to do that. We have the support or the providers for six hospitals, four medical centers, and really we're the uh, clinical site. What I'm excited about is for the academic and research missions of the university. And it's just been a great marriage of where we get to do academic healthcare, research, and support our community.
0: How many people are involved in an operation that big? You said 900 physicians, but what about support staff? How many people? About 2,500 team members overall. And, and that then, doesn't include the hospitals? No, it, and the whole U of L Health system is about
1: 11,000 people.
0: Wow. Yeah. You've been doing this for some time. How long have you been in this role?
1: I've been in this role for about five years now, and okay. I've been with the system for about seven years.
0: Yeah, I think. okay. Yeah, so it's been it's been a while. I've been in healthcare for I had to think about this a while back, but 33 years I've been in healthcare. That's a long time. So yeah. do you have a unique background in healthcare. You want to tell us a little bit about that? Yeah, I started my career as a paramedic. So way back,
1: you know, I'm from the Midwest and I uh, really wanted to help my community it's a very rural area that I'm from and they didn't have the emergency medical support that was needed so we I was one of the uh, people that you know started some of the work within the state of North Dakota and Minnesota and and became paramedic and I actually moved up to uh, worked for a college for a while teaching paramedicine so and then uh, did work throughout the state in emergency medicine and process improvement, and got into healthcare and in the, the hospitals, and then moved up from there.
0: Wow. That's a very unique background for the role that you now have. You were a frontline, front, frontline front provider. Uh, I'm sure you have some great stories from those times. Yeah. So one of the things we wanted to talk about today was this whole, the whole notion of uh, compassionate leadership, some might even call it servant leadership, boy, especially as we've come through this very difficult two years with the pandemic, everyone's been impacted by this in a, in a really significant way that's really shaped how we do work now. And and so much more of it's virtual and, and you probably have staff and employees that have worked virtually for part of the past two years, and maybe even now aren't back full-time in person. So can you talk to us about how compassionate leadership has impacted you, and, and how, how you deal with approaching employees with compassionate leadership?
1: I was impacted the most when I started my career as a paramedic, and just a quick story for you. I was a paramedic for probably been about three years. I had run into this time frame where it was I had the worst luck ever as a paramedic. Meaning, I went through about a month where I had more terrible traumatic calls than anyone in our system. And every shift, there was someone, there was death, and and it was it was terrible. And and people in healthcare and you know run through um, times like that, but mine was just really extended. And to give you some examples, like we had a car accident where there was three people, two were dead at the scene, and one died in the back of the ambulance. I had five calls of suicide deaths. I had a child walk out on a frozen river and fall through, and I was on the dive rescue team, and I found the body. And it was just really difficult. And I was just getting drained personally. And I was going through, um, I had a friend that had cancer, paramedics, emergency medicine, healthcare workers sometimes have a dark sense of humor. I would come to work in my ambulance, there'd be extra body bags and things oh, like no. that. You know, okay. things like that. So it was just like things <laughs> that you really need. But I remember it was getting towards the end of this time and it was four o'clock in the morning and I had a we had a SIDS death and a mom came in And her her baby had passed away sometime during the night. We got there. And this was in, like, 1989. So we worked these cases a long time, which didn't make sense. But we we did that. And so I remember doing CPR on this baby for about a half hour with the mom just holding on to me, you know, saying, you know, save my baby, save my baby. And we couldn't do it. It, That was on a Wednesday. And I walked out of that house, and I said, on Friday, I'm putting in my notice. Mm -hmm. I can't do this. And, you know, back then there wasn't mental health. There wasn't anything like that. Burnout was, hadn't been really no, described. No. Really it was, you know, work harder. If you got a wound, you know, rub some dirt on it. You know, it was that, <laughs> that type of mentality. And, and I was just, I'm done. So uh, I was walking in at the office, walking down the hall, and one of my supervisors uh, stopped me and said, wait, how's it going? I said, it's fine. And kept walking. Well, if you know me, even back then, I never usually give one-word answers. So he knew, okay, this is pretty serious. We need to talk. So he pulled me aside, and we talked for about, he talked about, you know, how things were going and the different things that were going on and how tough it was. And, and he was just there for me. And then he set up time. He said, you know what? After every shift, let's sit down and talk. And we'd sit down and talk. And then he, it was all about work, but then he got to know who I was and the things I was struggling with. And he, he would always be there. He'd send me notes. He would support me. And he'd give me tough love when I needed that, too. And it was just, it got to the point where that Friday came and I didn't give my notice. And I stayed on because because of who, what he did for me as a person. Wow. And I would have done anything for that leader. So you fast forward it now to COVID. Yeah. And there's so many people that are going through the exact same thing. And the world is... For, especially for healthcare is very chaotic. It's not that, you know, it's not just you have a bad day at work, but you know, work is difficult and then schools are shutting down, daycares are shutting down, they can't manage their personal life, they can't manage work, and people are just saying, I'm done. Yeah. And so when you talk about compassionate leadership, that's we need that
0: more today than ever before. And that's why this topic is so important. So what a powerful story, Wade. Uh, it, I can only imagine what it meant to you. Certainly it saved for your community, you as a paramedic, because you were out. It really did do what the research now suggests that compassionate leadership does, is that it helps with retention and it helps people cope because they know somebody there cares. I'm gonna ask, so you provided a story that described compassionate leadership. So I was wondering if you could define it. So what, what do you see as a compassionate leader.
1: Of course, I've read Dr. Bradshaw's information on this and engagement and HBR and the Harvard Business Review also had an article that I read three years ago that really stated it well, where it's you know, doing hard things in a human way or you know, just serving others intentionally you know, every leader says, well, I serve my people and all that. But right. are you intentional about that? And really, what does that look like? And for me now, especially with COVID and the things going on, you know, I'd say there's three main things that are important. You know, listen, um, we need to listen more and share the good things. Our healthcare system is doing some incredible things. We do things that no one else does in the state. We do things for patients that is just not, you can't get anywhere else. And sometimes we just kind of blow over that. And we got to share that good. So when there's these difficulties, we got to remember people or remind people of the good things that we're doing. And also as a leader, we need to acknowledge the needs and acknowledge you know, that this is a tough job and what are those needs moving forward. And I would challenge every leader that I think it's my job to not only listen and and to be empathetic and understand that, but then how can I help them and to search out the struggling. So every day there's a leader that's struggling with something. There's barriers, there's, you know, we're fast moving, we're growing, we're doing different things. But what are those struggles? And I need to search those out and try to fix those. And then really remind them of our mission and, and why we're here and the part that they play. Because it is so important that if you lose the, the role that you play and the importance you're doing for the community, it, it you can get lost in the noise. And we can't do that. So it's a lot of you know personal notes acknowledging greatness, and just be present, I think is is key.
0: We've talked a few times about focusing on bright spots, you know, even when we talked about strength finders, you know, rather than focusing on what's your negative, what are your weakness, I think that's so critical. But also your story and the, uh, what you're describing here, you had that modeled to you, you know, the compassionate leadership saved you and then you're able to apply it in this new role. So you think about all of the people that need to see this in, in their leadership to have that ripple effect, which we've also talked a lot about, is really critical. So Wade, you've described how compassionate leadership has impacted you personally, really all through your career, and how you're implementing those things now here at ULP, but with over 200 practice sites and thousands of employees, you can't be everywhere. So. How have you been able to set things up within ULP that facilitates the distribution of this further downstream?
1: One of the stories I got that talks a little bit about that is during this Omicron Delta wave yes. was, the most, was actually the most difficult we've ever been through. And for our health system, I mean, it almost broke us because there was less deaths, less publicity and things. But as a system, we had more people out. Yeah. We lost staff. You know and it, it was really hard there was a time when you know 15 20 percent of all my staff was out due to wow. they had covid so you know it was very difficult so we decided to put together a staff a huddle call and this huddle call was executive directors and senior directors could check in with their managers see what their staffing levels were and then we could report and then maybe share staff we didn't always do that you know we were a little bit more siloed and stuff right. So the first time we, we did this, you know, I, I remember the call or it was one of the first two times we did it, um, staff, the, the leaders were going around, you know, hey, I'm four short today. We, we'd say, what's your status and do you have any people that we, can, that we can move around? So we're going around the room virtually and the first one said, you know, I'm short four people today. Um, The next one said, I'm short five people. The next lady said, you know, and they they said they had no people to to share. The next director said, and she had tears in her eyes on Zoom, and she said, I'm short nine people, and I have four providers in, and I'm probably going to have to be the MA for every provider. Wow. And, And you could just see it. And then all of a sudden, the managers that went before said, I have someone I'll send you. I'll have someone I'll send you today. We'll run short. We'll send more people. And it was just this opportunity where they could be transparent. It took a few times because yeah, yeah. no one wants to say, hey, I really need help, I'm short. Right. But after a while, they were like, it got transparent. They were floating people back and forth. They were doing amazing things with so few staff and they were you know, pushing people around and they were calling each other and hey, how are you doing? And it was amazing. And it was just that, Everybody wanted to be compassionate. Everybody wanted to help out. Everyone thought that that was the greatest call that we had, and actually we're still continuing them
0: just to touch base and see how everybody's doing. You know, so many times through this pandemic, we, we have seen all the terrible things that have happened as a result of it, but it has also accelerated some good things. And, and maybe you stumbled into, even though you didn't set it up this way, you set up the call, but you didn't, you couldn't script what was gonna happen but the community that got built with that call and, and you know, you see it in natural disasters where there's a tornado comes through a town or a hurricane comes through a, an area where people then come together in ways they never came together before. Yeah. And maybe you're seeing that same kind of thing that compassionate assistance and leadership surfaces in the midst of crisis. And it's hard to look somebody in the face and watch them say, I don't think I can get through today.
1: The other thing, with compassionate leadership is when there's a community where you, you you're not alone. So if you're a leader and you can share, you know that you're that whoever is struggling, they're not alone, and that you'll help where you can, or or it, it's just it just builds a community that is stronger and more
0: resilient. I think this might be a good segue to pivot to the next topic I wanted to bring up: employees across the country. Long before the pandemic, uh, the Gallup organization has been polling employees around the country in various industries for for many many years, and they consistently find about the same thing. If you have if you had the illustration of ten people in a rowboat, only three of them have their paddle in the water and are pulling. Five are just sitting there with their paddles in their lap, not really doing anything. These are the people that sort of clock in and clock out, and they give you what time they have while they're there. But their true willingness to put in incremental effort is just not there. And two of them are actively disruptive. They're standing up in the boat. They rock the boat. They're they're trying to jump out. It just causes havoc. I wanted to talk about that because one of the things they highlighted is that Employees, even in those systems, are still looking for some very common things. And when they survey them, there was four words that came through in this, trust, compassion, stability, and hope. These were true before COVID. Gotta be even more true now with the pandemic, you know, still living with us. Does this resonate with your experience as a, from a paramedic all the way to what you do now? Does this sound like the work environment that most companies live in? I
1: do resonate with that. I, I do think those four components of trust, compassion, stability, and hope are just vital to an organization. And and I haven't always been the best at knowing if those are present. So one of the things that I've done that's helped me to assess that is I've been asking my team lately, you know, how full is your battery today? Yeah. So you know, are you zero to 100 percent? How full is your battery? And it has been such a good tool to assess kind of where they're at and, and wh- how engaged they are. And and when, when the batteries are below 25 percent, yeah, they're, they're just doing what they can to keep their nose above water, if that. Right. And, you know, I also realize then that we they may need a little more attention or they may need a little bit more help. Or, or I may need to step up as a leader and say, you know, what is it that you're not getting from me that I can help? So I, I think that assessment and, and I think is, is, is key to understanding where that is. You know, from Dr. Shuck's model of, you know, having courage to be above the line, I thought that was very impressive. And, you know, having the, I think it's more important now as a leader to lead with that authenticity, and accountability, empathy, integrity, I, I, it's it's more under a microscope now than ever before. Yes. And And I think we're not gonna develop that trust and compassion and stability and hope in this age of pandemics and stuff without
0: that. In one of our previous podcasts, uh, Dr. Brad Shuck from the College of Education and Human Development, who whose research is really focused on employee engagement and motivation, has written a lot about uh, compassionate leadership. And he built a model that looks at, um, he calls it the above the line model. And he basically asks the question, are you, are you leading from above the line or below the line? And the kind of things above the line are the things we're talking about, dignity and accountability and integrity and treating people with respect. And the below the line things are the opposite of those. And he points out that it takes courage to be above the line. So when you talk about um, these issues as it relates right now in the pandemic, uh, that model he built pre-pandemic, and yes. so we've known about it for some time. And so we'll put a link in the show notes that, that ties back into that. Well, we'll uh, provide a link to blog posts that will have that information. And then, of course, you are welcome to listen to Dr. Brad Shuck in a previous episode that you can find in our archives. If you were talking to the University of Louisville's Health Science Center faculty, many of which are physically within ULP, but it's also the dental school and the nursing school and the School of Public Health. What one thing would you suggest or ask them to do in the week after they listen to your podcast, what would you suggest they do to sort of put into practice the kind of things you've talked about today?
1: I would leave leaders with the question of, if you did a self-analysis, are those fruits evident? Does your circle of influence feel compassion? Is there stability? Is there hope and trust that you can that you are responsible to giving them? And if not, I mean every day I need to work on that. And what what is it that you need to change and how can you be intentional
0: to change that? If you want to up your game as a professional educator or to enhance your leadership skills in the academic setting, this is the place to be as together we strive to make U of L a great place to learn, a great place to work great place to invest. Join us next time for more and come hungry.